Hi, welcome to GRC and Me, a podcast where we interview governance, risk, and compliance thought leaders on hot topics, industry-specific challenges, and trends to learn more about their methods, solutions, and outlooks in the space, and hopefully have a little fun doing it. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Clark. With me is uh, Dorian Kojis, co-founder of Unified Compliance and the primary architect of the Unified Compliance Framework and the compliance portal, the UCF Common Controls Hub. Dorian serves as an advisor and working group member to the Payment Card Industry Council, Financial Technology Forum, and other industry organizations. Dorian, you mind uh, telling us a little bit more about yourself? Oh boy, I don't know how much you want to know about me. Uh, I've, I've, and you, you guys can find it all on my LinkedIn profile. It's D C O U G I A S. Um, I've been around uh, this industry before this was gray, and uh, and and the stuff that's way down here before gravity took it was way up here. Uh, we've we've been doing this for quite a while, and and it, it's a it's it's a neat industry, and I I work with a lot of really really brilliant people. And that's what you really need to know. The, the the great part is that I'm not the smart guy here. I'm I'm you know every time I go into a meeting, I'm the dumbest guy in the room, which is pretty cool. Oh, that's a great feeling. Do you mind um talking a little bit about what UCF is and just like what some of the benefits of using it are? Sure. The Unified Compliance Framework is a methodology for, we do mapping for you, defensible mapping for you. That's that's the most important part. It's It, it was born out of the need that was expressed when uh, the person from Washington, D.C. called me up and said, hey, look, I've got a problem. I've got four authority documents, you know, regulations, laws, standards. That's what we call authority documents. We group them all into one. And he said, I've got four of them. One of them says, close the tap. One of them says, turn off the spigot. One of them says, shut the faucet. And the fourth one says, swing the tennis racket. I said, okay. So well, how do you prove when they're the same and when they're different? And I said, well, <laughs> it's common sense, right? He said, no, 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 no. We got to do it in, in language. We've got to do it defensible. We've got to do it in a way that we can then expand on this. And it wasn't as easy to do as I thought it would be. And so we had to come up with, with a methodology for, for searching text and for saying some and having similarity and dis and, and more importantly, dissimilarity rules. That's what the unified compliance framework is, is the framework for saying when is this similar to this, and therefore harmonizing or deduplicating the rules. And then when is that different? And more importantly, so when you when you look at it. Um, we break it down into predicates and subject. You know, let's go back to Fraggle Rock. Let's get the, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the English part, you know, what's a predicate, what's a subject, all that stuff, you know, with Sister Mary Knucklebuster back in grade school. And 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 so we, you know, synonyms, antonyms, hypernyms, hyponyms, very, very similar. And and then when it gets into, and 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 by the way, people can't do this. You have to have computers to do this because you have to have rule systems. Mm -hmm. and, and there's so much of it that comes up. You have to have rule systems to start reading this for you. So one set of rule systems broke it into, you know, is this a sentence? Let's tokenize it. And here's the first word you've got to know. What's our corpora? Okay. 
Okay, because all of your sentences, all of the stuff you're reading, that becomes your corpora, and you're going to have to manage that. You're going to see a lot of that word coming up lately. NVIDIA just did a deal with one of your competitors where they're using large language models. That's another word. The large language model is the biggest corpora out there. You know, we're talking uh, a billion words. You're not going to have that many words in your compliance dictionary. But the first thing that they said was, Hey, you know, in this partnership, we're going to use these large language models, but you're also going to have to train them with your corpora. So right now, let's just say our, our corpora is four sentences. You know, shut the tap, turn off the spigot, close the faucet, swings the tennis racket. So the predicates have to go in there. And when you're using machines to read that, mm-hmm. turn off is what's called a multi-word expression. So we had to build our machine system to, to, to look at multi-word expressions and be able to tag those. That's part of the framework. And then the other part of the framework is, is deciding when turn off, shut, and close are the same when they're different. Faucet, spigot, the other. And, and that has to tie a dictionary in. So that's mm-hmm. the second thing you're going to need to know is how does your dictionary use to tie those things together. So really the unified compliance framework is is a fancy way of saying, we can take all these sentences and put them in your bucket. Mm -hmm. And then we could take all of these words. And when Joe is saying shut and Tammy saying turn off and Fred over there is saying uh, close, we know it's the same thing. So that's our dictionary part. And then the framework for harmonizing it is, we know that shut, turn off, Close, spigot, faucet are the same. And then we, more importantly, know that swing and tennis racket are not. That's really the the nuts and bolts of the entire unified compliance framework. It can come down to those simple things. How do you take the sentences, stick them in a bucket for examining it? How do you take the words, define the meanings, and then use those definitions to say when is something the same and when isn't it? And then allow Joe and Tammy to go and compare against that to see where exactly where and Joe and Tammy and Sammy, and then taking it even farther and saying, okay, well, if we're going to teach somebody to turn something off, there's this dude named Bloom, the Bloom's taxonomic rules. As a matter of fact, if you're into education, this this be the book right here. I'll stick it up really close to the camera. It's, okay. it's, it's about Bloom's taxonomy, and you're going to hear a lot about it, especially with the cybersecurity communities and this nice and uh, the government's own that training curriculum. Because this dude named Bloom said, every time you go to do something, there's a level of understanding you have to have to do it. You know, the level for turning something off is pretty, pretty short, right? But the level for maybe uh, configuring. You know, if you're configuring a router, well, there's a level of education you're going to have to have for configuring predicate this asset. And that has to match education levels. That's also built into our framework. The other thing built into our framework is that thing you're doing something to, that subject, you know, that the, the light, the spigot, the tennis racket. When you start getting into compliance things, like uh, configuration guidance, you need to know what those are because I need to pass to a logic gate, hey, you know, when we're going to go implement this, you've got to go find that spigot, that faucet, that tap 
and ensure that it's what? Turned off. Mm-hmm. So, so it sets up how you can audit something. And, and, and if anybody's ever seen uh, uh, My Cousin Vinny, remember My Cousin Vinny? Yeah. Well, there's, it's, it's, it's cool because that's what I, 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 I was taught, funny enough, by a lawyer. This is how we have to audit things in compliance. My Cousin Vinny won his court case. When remember at the very end, we're talking about the he, he was he was cross-examining his, his fiance. Yeah. And she talked about the differential axle thing. Yeah. Well, it was based upon can you examine this asset? Does this asset have this configuration item? Does it have a straight axle or does it have that differential axle? That's the same thing in audit for us in compliance. You know, you have to look at the asset to know what you can do with it. When he was talking to the dude about cooking the uh, about cooking the grits, right? Yes, Twenty minutes. You know, it yeah. was what was he doing? He was testing a process when he was when he had all those pictures in front of the guy about you know looking through the looking through the uh, uh, you know the, that dirty window through those bushes through those trees. He was examining evidence. Mm-hmm. Same thing in compliance. You can examine records. You can't test a record, but you can examine a record. Mm-hmm. If you've got processes out there, somebody's got to observe the process. If you have an asset, you check the configuration for the assets. And, and, and that all goes into to the compliance framework. And you know, it, it gives us those rules for how to look at those subjects and predicates, what yep. we can do with them, and then how we can audit them. That's so interesting. I, I love the example. I, uh, and I think it's kind of a nice segue. So you mentioned you know, corpus, you mentioned large language models. Um, and then you, in particular, I think the interesting part is defining that corpus as well. Right. Um, like we, we, we kind of encounter that decent amount here at LogiGate where we call like use cases within our platform applications. And that works if you know LogiGate. However, right. if you're just like a typical, you know, you work in IT and you say an application, that would typically define LogiGate as a whole. Because that is the app, the software application more broadly that is being defined, and so defining those at each level and as it's relevant, it seems strong. Where, um, you know, as we as we start to go deeper into this, like into artificial intelligence and kind of a brand new framework, I know Corpus, large language model, those were cor- corpora were new words to me. Like, what are some other terms? Or just phrases that you know people listening to this or thinking about AI should be aware of. Okay, everybody who's listening to this podcast, this is how you show up your bosses. So, so there are 15 words you can use to show up your boss about artificial intelligence and 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 how it applies to GRC that you you've got to know. None of these are going to get you a date in the bar unless you're like at some nerd bar. That's what you think. Well, all right. If you're in Silicon Valley, they'll get you there. I live in Las Vegas. You know, uh, I, I, my, my wife was reading what I was writing it, and 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 I'm, I'm looking off to the left over here uh, because I, I looked at it myself. You know, robotic process automation. My wife went really, <laughs> but there, there are 15 core terms that you have to know that apply to artificial intelligence as it applies to governance, risk, and compliance. And and, and funny enough, robotic process automation is one of the keys because AI in the GRC space is divided into three parts. It's it's divided 
into robotic process automation, one big chunk. It's divided into data and risk analytics that also can be used for harmonization. And then it's divided into this new thing that everybody's all hot and bothered about, but they have no concept of what it's really doing called generative, excuse me, generative content. You know, that's your chat GPT. That's your other, other thing that's going on out there. Uh, so, so that's the world that we live in right now, those three parts. And robotic process automation is, is, is one of the key terms you need to know, and also about a third of how AI applies to you know, what we're doing. And all of that, if you, if you want to you know, throw a term around to, to your board or your supervisors, it all falls under reg tech, you know. You know <laughs> yeah, we do, reg, we do AI reg tech here. That's, that's, I mean, I think a lot of those are new, but when you talk about and you kind of bring in like robotic process automation algorithms, I mean, that's a little bit more familiar to me. But to your point, everyone's kind of like on this chat GPT train. It's the generative, con- like that's the hot new thing. But it seems, I mean, I know the other two have been around for a while. Why do you think the chat GPT has made waves in the more popular media in a way that, like algorithms and robotic process automation hasn't recently? Is it because it's just new? Is it because, you know? No, when when, when uh, data and risk analytics came out, it was new, but nobody gave a crap. <laughs> uh, 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 I, I know I was giving a, pre- I was giving a, you know, I was <laughs> keynoting a, cons- uh, keynoting a, uh, uh, a seminar and I had like, you know, a hundred people in it. And, uh-huh. and, you know, the other guys had, you know, like 400 people. I was like, yeah, okay. I'm preaching to the nerds. The reason Chad GPT, uh, and, and I was talking to uh, the oldest son who's just finishing law school, and uh, he, he's talking to me about Chad GPT, like, you know, artificial intelligence is brand new. Wow, this is great. And I said, why do you think it's so hot in, in law school right now? He's not a Chapman. And he said, oh, that's simple, because it writes for us. Mm-hmm. It does, the, it thinks for us. So it's not thinking for you. It's really just regurgitating other stuff that's out there. And and his answer was, yeah, but that means I don't have to. You know, risk and data analytics, you still have to do something with that. Mm-hmm. You still have to look at it. You have to apply it. Robotics process automation, man, you're deep in the woods with, with rule sets and everything else like that. That's for the seriously nerdy folks in, in the group. But anybody can use generative content to 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 create, you know, create my slides for me, create a tweet about this, write a silly poem. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to one of the guys from uh, uh, Tutela, one of, one of your integrators, and and I said, you know, what what do you think? There's a there's a conference in town. They're all in town, and you know, some of our clients in there. I, I went to speak, and I said, well, what are you using it for? And the guy said, I wrote a children's book with it. Wow. Yeah. I said, is it any good? He goes, yeah, my three-year-old thinks so. <laughs> That's awesome. It's so funny that you bring that up. I, this is a kind of side topic, but I, you know, I was looking through stuff on this and I saw like a meme around how, you know, we all thought when AI came, it was coming for our jobs, for our, right. like, for doing these things. And what it really came for, it was, it came for our art, right? It started to generate images. It started to generate like poems and like the things that we, you know, almost thought were like only humans could create. And so it's kind of right. interesting, like how wrong we were in that prediction, at least. Well, recently. when you really 
think about it, it's not generating. Yeah. So there's there's a fine line mm-hmm. between stealing wholeheartedly. Yeah. Which is what it does. And creating something absolutely new. Now, now that's the Skynet of the world. You know, that's when, you know, oh my God, they might come for us. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, when that thing goes live. Because because right now, even if you look at the art they're using, and, and there's, matter of fact, Italy is really pissed off about this. Uh, the art that they're using to create new art will sometimes still even have the original artist's signature on the piece that it's copying out. So you know there are there are uh, again I I gave you guys a couple papers. One of the papers that people here are are going to need to know about are are the, the the data protections and licensing affecting text for data mining because that's what these things do. They data mine. Yeah. Okay. You know if if you go and ask ChatGPT what are the core tenets of a unified compliance framework, it's literally going to steal the four paragraphs that I wrote. Because that's the only thing in its corporal. And it's going to reword it slightly. Mm-hmm. But if you, you know, I, I was kidding around with my lawyer. I said, look, if I took it in, you know, who can I sue for uh, for intellectual property theft? Because that's mine. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, and it didn't cite me. And that's the big thing. And, and, and chat GPT right now, even if you ask it to cite somebody, somebody it's just making crap up. It, it, it literally is. Um, what is it? We we did a test. We a friend in Italy wrote a couple papers, and we knew the ten papers that surrounded what we were writing because it was very very esoteric. So we asked it to give us uh, some some content on the subject, and then asked it using Chicago Manual, you know, seventh whatever, um, give us paragraph and section on this and all the citations. And it gave us these ResearchGate citations, which we knew ResearchGate had. Yeah. You know, that's where they published the peer-reviewed journal that I write for. That's where they they put it up there. And I thought, wow, cool! It's got ResearchGate citations. Then I went to look them up. Not only did they didn't exist, but after I got a hold of the editor of ResearchGate, they never existed. Those titles, because he's got. You know, he can go into his Wayback Machine and his archives. He can see anything that's ever been published there. Not only were those URLs the wrong URLs, but the titles of the paper they gave had never been submitted. The authors and some of, some of the authors were up there, but a lot of the authors were grouped together in groupings that never worked together before. And then when I asked a friend of mine over at OpenAI, but funny if they 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 wanted to tap me as the head of governance, risk, and compliance at OpenAI. I went, oh, nope, not gonna happen. <laughs> and and other than the fact that I'm like the CEO of a company, but but I said to him, I said, I said, you know, you guys have got a problem because you're you know you're making stuff up. And he said, well, it's trained on 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 a large language model, and it's trained on how humans write and how humans think and humans lie. And so if we train it on that, yeah. it's going to do the same thing humans do. So why do you think it's any different? There's no ethos. There's, there's no morality to a machine. It will do the most expedient thing. That's crazy. Yeah. I, um, I know there's been a lot of discussions around like that, like how to train it on the ethics of it and all that. So it's, it's fast. It's fascinating that kind of the first ethical dilemma that it immediately does is, is lying, right? It's just not telling the truth. 
around it. Right. And then um, when you catch it on it, it's oh my god! It's it's like uh, uh, I have a I have a I have a five year old nephew, yeah. and and uh, I, I you know I, I caught him fibbing the other day, and I said <laughs> you know I know you're fibbing, and he kind of gave a little bit, and I said oh no come on let's go, and then he gave me and then finally you know fessed up to the whole thing. If you go to Chat GPT and say no that citation's wrong, it will say I'm sorry, and then you know I'll try to correct myself, and they say no that's wrong too. Oh I'm sorry. And, you know, it, and and it will maybe try to work its way in. And then finally, it'll say, I don't know where that citation came from. Even though it is, does, because it should be tracked in its corpora. If you're doing so, so that's the other thing. When you're building a corpora in your corporations to train the model for what you're doing, you need to build your corpora management system so that as you're putting all those sentences in, you're tying them to the internal documents that they came from. Because the other big part that you've got to know, that, that you have to tie to AI, you actually have to tie to everything in compliance, is the concept of explainability. And there's an explainability AI model that people can pull from that you need to apply to these things. But everything you're doing has to have explainability. You know, that, that's one of the things we built into the unified compliance framework. If anybody ever goes to our UCFmapper.com, they can go up there and see how we're mapping things. And they can even go and see how we're arguing with each other or the auditors about how something's are, uh, mapped because we have to do it to PCAOB standards. So, you know, they're, they're going to have to build explainability into everything that they're doing with this. That's it's. It's fascinating you bring up the explainability piece because if we think about our typical like use cases or um, everything we do in GRC, right? Like if you do an audit and you're testing the control, you need to provide evidence on that the control has been performed. If you are performing a third-party risk assessment and you and the third party says, you know, yeah, we're SOC 2 certified, you'd never would just accept that. You'd be like, okay, right. give me the report. Like, and so it's fascinating that like, we as humans just kind of inherently trust that ChatGPT is telling us something based on right evidence, rather than like pushing for that evidential collection off of it, um, especially in the GRC space where you would just, you know, we are trained to want that documentation and that evidence right. as well. And, and, and so, you, you know, when you're looking at the generative AI part in, in organizations, because that's where everybody's going to want to play right now. You know, yeah. write me a policy based on this thing. Write me a, here's the challenge that I have for them right now. Take one citation from an authority document and you have to follow. Find a simple one, you know, NIST 800 AC3, whatever it is, find one citation and say, write a policy statement that follows this citation and watch then then go on in and 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 compare what you're reading with what it writes and ask yourself could you defend that you're going to find more than 50 percent of the time you can't i i i i did this i i wrote a piece it's up on our website somewhere about uh how it came out in the last newsletter how to uh, matter of fact when we were promoting logic gate <laughs> uh, and 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 one of the things was how to use chat gpt to start writing policies mm -hmm. and then how to check it for when it goes right. wrong and take those parts out yeah <laughs>
but you know what what it is good at is generating reiki charts okay you know you know who's responsible who's accountable who should be communicated with who should be informed or you know maybe misinformed as the case may be yeah. uh and and then you know it'll do that and it'll it'll what's really really cool and and I'm just so into which part of the compliance is code is it will then give it a policy if you feed it a policy if you feed a procedure excuse me you can then say create a plant UML session flow diagram or user flow diagram or you know a, a deployment diagram based on this procedure and it will create you an auditable diagram in plant UML right then and there yeah. And if you look at it, they match. And they've matched 100% of the time in everything we've thrown at it. So much so that, you know, we're seeing, and Plant UL is another one of those, so Plant UML, this is fun. Plant UML, and and so this is where that robotics part, you know, know, that's the first piece. And then that analytic part are starting to blend. Because now, you know, organiza- my organization is completely, uh, we're, we're completely remote. I'm in Denmark. I'm in the U.S., all over the U.S. I'm in the Canary Islands. Uh, you know, I want to make that my next office. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're everywhere. Uh, and and when, you, when we have to go pass our audits, we use the C4 slash plant UML method to have our systems document where we live. Because there ain't going to be a human in my organization that's going to keep up with where we're deploying parts of, of, of what we're doing. So that the robotics automation part is going out to Amazon and, and Microsoft and saying, document thyself using the C4 plant, method, plant UML methodology deliver that documentation to us so that we can then put that into our compliance portfolio. So the UCF is now accepting plant UML as one of the elements within UCF. And that is both then, you know, robotic automation of documentation and analytics, because we can pass that analytics over to, you know, our our CloudStrike or something else like that that says, okay, now, examine this 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 amorphous border and tell us what the risks and threats are that are, that are going to hit that two sections of ai yeah. you know and it would be really really cool if i can get that generative part that says and then write the board report for me every month oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's always our dream <laughs> ah that's awesome um so we talk about those three and we kind of talk about combinations of those three. When you think about the future and how we're going to continue to invest and grow on AI, like which of those three keeps you up at night? Like where are you worried the most about from an AI perspective and why? I'm not worried for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm worried for your clients. Okay. And, and I'm going to go back to the two core things because, you know, Vince Lombardi, when he, when he took over the Packers, famously walked in and said, gentlemen, this is a football. You know, it started there. Everybody's into the surface level BS of using chat PT to write things and all this other crap. What they don't understand is you have to train the model. Okay. That's what keeps me up at night because they're not training the model on what they're doing with their language. And 
what's keeping me up at night is we don't have a standardized industry methodology for establishing and maintaining corpora, mm-hmm. you know, that bucket of where we're going to put things. All right. You, you, you go to, uh, you go to any organization, uh, yeah. you know, Hey, Hey listeners go to, you know, go to your CTO, go to your CIO and say, Hey, if we're going to do this thing, what's the corporate management tool we're using? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crickets farting. That's what you're going to get. You're going to get crickets farting. Okay. You've got to figure that out. You know, we can help. We maintain a corpora. I don't even have a corpora service or API to sell you. You know, I'd love to say, oh, and I, and I have the answer here. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. <laughs> I have one for me, which is very, very, very robust, but I don't have one for you. And you're going to have to build one. And, and nobody's talking about an industry standard for that yet. So can I pause you real quick on that? Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, we're talking about that through the lens of like AI, right? Like you need some common definitions. You need some common corpora. Why is that different than like a human writing or like hiring someone to write your policies as a human versus like going to chat GPT? Like where does oh, that, uh, okay. why is that different? It's, it's, uh, I, I'm going to give you a real, for instance, uh, okay. much apologies to you, Mr. Jackson. Um, I'm now going to tell a story out of school. Michael Jackson is, believe it or not, his real name was Michael Jackson. And, and, and I loved him. He, he worked for the FDIC, uh, and, and, and the FFIEC. And, uh, uh, and then by the way, he's like six foot four and he hated it when you would walk up and go, I like Michael. <laughs> uh, and, and, but they came to us at one of our earliest clients and they said, we got a problem. Humans are writing our, our FFIEC, um, audit guides. I said, okay, what's the problem? He said, we got nine of them. I said, yeah. He said, you know how many different ways we're saying the same thing and using the same words to say different things? When we did deduplication and harmonization of their internal documents, not not industry documents, look, you know, here's one document, this, this one document, each document had anywhere between 40 and 60% overlap because they were saying the same thing different ways or different things the same way. So when you have multiple humans working on it, this is why I say humans can't do mapping. These are not stupid people. These are really smart people that I really, really, really respected and respect to this day. Yeah, I make fun of Michael because he became a friend. And I, and I can, and, and I'm out of arm's length because you pound me for <laughs> uh, telling these stories. But seriously, they had 60% duplication. That's why you need a corpora. That's why you have to have in, in, in this world, you have to have this thing to put it together. And you need that second part, which is a corporate dictionary. Yeah. Now, here's the second story on this one. And Stephen Pilliero can back me on it. Uh, uh, you know, Jody Mack from Moxie PLC was there. Uh, the PR firm, a bunch of people from this. I know you and this guy is going to yell at me when you hear this one. So I was really, really mad. Uh, we went to Gaithersburg. We met with the NIST guys. And they were first coming out with the NIST cybersecurity standard. And they'd asked us to work on it and help dedupe it and map it. And uh, I realized that they were talking about cybersecurity different throughout the document. They had multiple authors. 
And typical Dorian fashion, you know, I'm kind of like a bull in a china shop if you haven't figured that part out yet. <laughs> <laughs> I got mad and I grabbed them all in the same room. And I said, okay, this is horse crap. You, you know, I'm reading this thing and the way I'm reading it, I've got a bunch of different definitions of cybersecurity because you're using it in different ways. So I gave everybody a piece of paper and a pen. And I said, without cheating, write your definition of cybersecurity. I won't tell you how many authors were in the room. I picked them up and there was one more definition than there were authors. And I said, okay, <laughs> how did that work? I don't even know how that math works. <laughs> I said, how's that math work? You know, there, you know, did somebody spawn, you know, another like, in, you know, invisible person here? How do we get more definitions? And then we started looking through them and, and we had, uh, it, it was just slightly less than the total number of people there, materially different definitions. And I finally said, who wrote two? And one guy raised his hand. I said, why'd you write two? He said, I didn't know which one was right. Dude, you're writing the national cybersecurity standard. <laughs> how can you have two definitions? And how can this august group of people come up with this many materially different definitions and not talk to each other? Because that's what humans do. Yeah. We all think we know anybody's ever been married, darn well knows that you use the same words to mean different things. And different words mean the same thing. Because you've had that conversation with your wife, your kids, everybody except your dog. Because your dog intuitively knows what you're talking about. Your cats are ignoring you. So they don't even come into the picture. The only ones that know what's going on really in the world is dogs. Because I think dogs are just sucking it out of our brain what we really mean. They're just not listening to the words. But everybody else, we're doing those different things. Machines don't do that. And, and how these large language models work, how AI works, is it literally, uh, I don't know if I sent the screenshot to you guys last night or not, but I, I grabbed the screenshot from, from the Amazon package we use, which is very, very advanced. And right in there, it says, here's how to tie in your synonyms, your antonyms, your hypernyms, your hyponyms. And your dictionary will go into our reading of your corpora so that our similarity engine can work. Because when that guy says poli privacy policy, and that person says personal privacy policy, and that one says the data privacy policy of personal information, we know it's the same thing. That's why the second part of that puzzle is your dictionary. And ain't no one talking about how to handle that. Yeah. Either of those two things. So I'd be interested in like, uh, you know, if you're looking at a risk management program, you're setting thresholds. So what, like with a dictionary and I'm going to just, I'm going to blame English, but like with the English language, you're always going to have some level of interpretation and like difference in definition. So like, where should, like, where do you recommend organizations set their like risk threshold? around that corpora and around that dictionary and like is it okay to have a little bit of wiggle room on what cybersecurity means on what so what you you so if you're if you're doing it right i'm going to go back to that second part that the analysis and the harmonization mm -hmm. when you're sucking your data into your corpora your nlp engine natural language processing engine is going to do this thing called uh uh 
extraction and interpretation. And it's going to find multi-word expressions because they bring, and you're going to have to teach it. And as you're doing that, you're going to be assigning, ah, this is the term, and this is the definition of the term in that instance. Okay, this is the definition of the term in that instance, that definition of the term in that instance. There's the, the wiggle room comes down, the, 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 the risk comes down the more you're using those definitions, because then it can look at the instances. It can say, okay, in that instance, we understand that that's the use. And in that instance, we understand that's the use. Does that make sense? Does yeah. So you're yeah. I mean, you're training. You are training it in some way. You're training it on the definitions and what it's called for. For and 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 if anybody really wants a term that's way out there, I didn't even put it in the terms you need to know. It's called definition encoded distance vectors. All of these guys do this stuff with vector analysis, right? You know, it's drawing things and and whatever. I have a hysterical paper I wrote on on vector and yeah on on similarity. You know, I, I started out, I say, look, you know, you got it. Remember anybody read Curious George, you know, the yellow man? You know, you got a yellow man, you got a dog, you got a banana. All right. What are the similarities? Well, you could say the yellow man and the banana are both yellow. You could say the dog and the yellow man are living things. Right? Can you have any similarities between a dog and a banana? When we gave the similarity test to a bunch of people who theoretically do mapping, and one of you guys works for Vanta, but I'm not going to name your name, and you all sue, sue me if you want, that guy doing the mapping for Vanta actually said the dog and the banana are similar. And I said, how did you get? I, I wrote this up in a paper after that. I was so mad. I said, how did you get there? He said, my dog likes bananas. That was his personal similarity engine. That would never yeah. fly with an auditor. That would never fly with linguistic anything. And so, so that's, you know, people work that way. Computers yeah. don't. They use word vectors. They use sentences. They use definitions to create these relationships. So when you go to, to Google and you say, I want to buy some apples, it will tell you where the grocery store is. But if you say, I want to buy an apple earbud, it's going to tell you where the yeah. apple store yeah. is. Because of the context. Yeah. They're still looking at the word Apple, but Apple is a different context. That goo, that's that's a fascinating example. <laughs> and and by the way, that's a real world example. Yeah. And, the whole and so time I was trying to think of like, well, what's the similarity between a dog and a banana? What am I missing here? <laughs> there, there isn't one. I'm good. Okay, that makes I me mean, go literally I, I had to go to our artist and I yeah. said, okay, yeah, we're writing this, we're putting this in a white paper. Yeah. <laughs> And, 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 you know, so I started, I, you know, I, we use that now to teach what computers do. So computers, you give them good rules. So that's the explainability part. Okay. It's the rules. Yeah. You can use the rules. You can take that to a, an ISO auditor, a PCI auditor, a PCAOB auditor. You know, uh, you could take that to Aon Insurance. You could take that to, to Lloyd's. And you yeah. could say, this is the rule set we're using. Great thing about computers are they're not going to say the dog likes the banana because that's not in the rule set, right? So given this rule set, given definition encoded distance vectors and the fact that we trained it on our corpora and we said this term with this definition in this context, this term in this definition in this context gives us contextual wiggle room 
brings the risk way down that we can use it and gives us explainability. But the risk is massively high if you're not using your own corpora because it's going to make stuff up. Excuse me. It's going to make stuff up. If if you don't have that dictionary tied in, it's not going to know your contextual use. And again, it's going to make stuff up. So that's how you reduce the risk. The flip side, I guess the flip side of that question, right? So that's where the greatest risk is. Where's the greatest opportunity? Oh, boy. Or I guess where uh, isn't the greatest opportunity? <laughs> well, I, 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 the realistic greatest opportunity right now is, is, is still in harmonization and deduplication. And 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 because it, it brings clarity, you know, if you if you uh, if you if you look at what some of these regulators write, mm-hmm. you know, I, I their 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 job is to obfuscate the simple by using the worst terms possible to mean, you know, everyday things. And 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 some of the stuff I read, I I. I told my wife if I ever if I if if I ever come down with terminal cancer, I'm going to DC and I'm going to find some of the people who write these things, and I'm going to start slapping pies in their face. You know, I don't <laughs> want to hurt anybody. Unless for Dorian, go to DC with pie. That's right. right. That's right. That's the free, you know, if I'm dying, I'm going to DC with a whole bunch of whipped cream pies, and then starting smacking people till they throw <laughs> me in the loony bin. Because they obfuscate this stuff. But if you use AI to, to harmonize and deduplicate, first of all, the language is going to be a lot simpler. Because AI is going to look at the, the personal indemnification policy of the usage of private data and go, yeah. oh, that's a privacy policy. Yeah. You know, and but, you know, that thing just shrunk to this, you know, must be. And and they would say, you know, must be read, interpreted, and put into account. For the, hey, hey, hey. In other words, don't screw it up. So so harmonization, deduplication simplifies it, tells the people at a at a in a ninth grade, tenth grade level what they need to do. Cause you know, trust me, I sit on a lot of boards. All my fellow board members, that's about their level of 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 not education, but their level of listening to these things. I, I sat on a board meeting the other day and it was like this. You know, and and it's like I was looking at over and he was watching TikTok. <laughs> like, man, we're listening, y'all. We're listening to a security briefing, and you because yeah, I'm getting every fifth word. And and but so you know, that's that's the way you got to present compliance. That's the biggest win you can get right now. And if you're doing it with AI, the cool thing about AI, uh, maybe we should throw another term in. Uh, they're called it's called named entity recognition. I, I think I'm going to go and stick maybe a 17th, 16th or 17th term yeah. in here. Name any recognition. So, so what that is, is it's reading, let's go back to swing the tennis racket, you know, and, and turn off the faucet, spigot, whatever. It knows that those assets fall into classes. It knows that, the, I, I should say, those, those predicate, uh, those subjects fall into classes. They can be assets that you have to configure. They can be processes you have to put into place. They can be uh, records that you have to maintain and or fill out a certain way. Because they'll actually tell you, maintain this record and ensure this is in it and ensure this is in it. And, and so the, the, the AI will read that 
and then hand over to logic gate, hey, you know, this sentence says this. And by the way, the this that you've got to do it to is now this thing that you better go find in, you know, that's going to be evidence later in an audit. And do you have that record? And you can pass that over to the records keeping people. And it has property, has metadata properties. You know, if, if PCI says maintain the blah, blah, blah record, you, you got to know that somebody's got to implement that. You're going to have to put it in your records management policy, pass that over to them. AI will tell you that. You know, uh, AI will tell you what to look for when auditing it. So you can pass that over to the audit. AI will do all of that while yeah. it's reading it. And it will all of a sudden understand it, make it a named entity, and then automatically say to LogicGate, here's all the JSON-LD you need to know about how to implement yeah. this and how to audit this. And people ain't going to do that. That's your biggest win right now is making it simpler and then also at the same time telling me how to implement it and then how to audit it. I, I, I Now I'm excited. Like you're telling me I can make it simpler and for me to do my job and like know right. what I need to go do. That's incredible. Once a word is in, you know, once it's in the dictionary, like our compliance dictionary uh, that we have has about half a million compliance terms mm -hmm. and auditors and implementers already have said, yeah, here's the named entities and here's how you need to, you know, this is what you need to do to implement them and maintain them and audit against them. And that's already in there. And that's the other cool part about AI and, and, and computer systems is once it's there, it's there. You don't have to think about it again. Yeah. You know, computer reads at the speed of speed of electrons. It sees that and says, yep, I could pass that off. Boom. Got it. Got it. Got it. And then only comes up with the stuff it doesn't know. So, like, I didn't have any other questions, like, directly. Or is there any other, like, last thoughts you'd like to leave? Yeah, they're, they're, they're actually uh, uh, a, a few. I, I took some thoughts on this when GRC first started. And I was literally in the room when Mike Rasmussen came up with GRC. Uh, lest anybody argue, Mike Rasmussen coined the term. I know, I was there. Uh, I wish I'd coined the term, but I didn't. Um, nobody had to think of as much about implementation of GRC as they have to do today because of AI. AI mean if you're going to apply AI in GRC, and you're going to have to apply AI in GRC, it's just the way it's going to go. You know, it's not like we're going backwards, guys. Uh, uh, you know, electricity is here to stay. If anybody's wondering, um, and you know, AI is here to stay, just like electricity, and ain't going to go away. We're not going to be lighting with gas. You know, we're not going to be going back to manual mapping and making stuff up. That means that you're going to be working with internal corpora and external corpora. You're gonna be working with intelligence machines that you don't own. With data that you don't own, plus data you do own. You're gonna be teaching a machine that sits somewhere in some cloud, owned by OpenAI, by Google, by Amazon. You think it's weird that Alexa is listening all the time. Now you're going to be giving it your policies, your procedures, your risks, your threats, your configuration guidance. 
So the very first thing you need to think through is who owns the data and what license model you want to use in order to apply AI at the GRC level. Because there are a lot of license models out there and you are going to have to come up with a, a TDM, text and data mining license that applies to your content that you want to use in this tool. Because some of the shared learning is gonna be shared with other people. What are you willing to sit into another model? What are you willing to be generated elsewhere? What are you willing to do whatever? And what must you keep secret? So that's the very first thing you have to think through. Before you think of your corpora, before you think of your, your, your dictionary, before you think of any of that, it's, it's this is a new world where the license is affecting this. And is everybody bought in on it? Because you're going to have to get them bought in on it. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, we have the, we already have examples like Samsung's IP loss because they didn't protect it in some way. Right. Like, that's, it's interesting to think about that through the lens of policies where you would expect like, you know, you can kind of go two extremes with this is either this data sharing will increase everyone's, will improve everyone's policy making. Rising tide lifts all boats. Right. Or the flip side is, you know, everyone's exposed because everyone knows everyone else's policies in some way. Right. And so it's an interesting, like, how do you walk that line? of or which which way will it go is there a momentum shift so um it, it's definitely something that i'm gonna do a lot more research on and oh yeah you, so step one is really how do you define a uh, a machine readable friendly license for for uh in a cloud contribution environment mm -hmm. okay because you know there's there's this cloud content below everything, like the content that the UCF maps, it's all this regulatory stuff. Sitting on top of that is your data that you might or might not be sharing with, with other people. Sitting on top of that is the generative stuff that's going to be created out there. Okay, what's the data license your, your organization is willing to live with? for machine-readable environments, because that's the environment you're coming into. It's all going to be compliance as code. In order to do continuous compliance, it's going to have to be compliance as code, machine-readable at some point. What are you willing to live with? And then, before you even put your corpora in, yeah. how are you going to define and manage your dictionary? Because, you know, I was at RSA walking through how many, yeah, how many vendors were out there talking about, we will go find your data and put it in, which means classification, taxonomies. You're going to have taxonomic structures, classification structures, and data dictionaries. That's part of that dictionary I was talking about. I, I, and every last one of the guys I talked to, how are you managing the data dictionary? Oh, we got our own. How are you managing the data? Oh, we got our own. All right, yeah. oh, we got our own. Yeah. I said, do you guys ever talk to each other? They don't even have the same structures. I got three of them to talk to me. I won't, re I won't name you guys. I won't out you. But uh, you, uh, wow, they uh, very far from working working with each other the right way. And and, and so 
how then are you going to structure your dictionary? Yeah, now, I'm, I'm for the very first time at the end of this month, I'm going to Boulder and I'm presenting. I'm a member. We we that my company, not I, it's not the, the royal I. Uh, we are members of the Dictionary Society because we maintain compliance dictionary. And. How far in back of this curve the dictionary guys are is I'm presenting for the first time a federated dictionary structure that I've got Oxford, Chicago, Prentice Hall, Merriam-Webster, Wordnick, and Free Dictionary to partner, did I say Cambridge? Cambridge is in there too, to partner with. And I'm showing them everything that's wrong with how we're doing this API-driven structure to even work together. And we're the dictionary society. <laughs> and, and you know if we don't get it together, and we don't have a standard way of querying and have a standard JSON that, that encompasses data dictionaries, if we can't agree on it, yeah. how can vendor A or B or C who, who don't do dictionaries for a living agree on it? We're not doing that until I think my presentation is June 1 in Boulder. If anybody's at the University of Boulder on June 1, come and see me afterwards. I'm pretty sure I'm going to need a whiskey. I'll buy <laughs> Uh, and, and, and we're literally, you know, right before I got on, uh, on the call to tape with you guys, I was seeing for the very first time how we're adding content from search to dictionaries and finding it from all those guys and finding it out of uh, the ECFRs and the governance people and applying it to a corporate glossary and how we're actually bringing it over for the first time with attribution and licensing so that a person can have a corporate glossary. And that's an alpha. You know, in in a, in a, in a you know, a, that was that meeting demo sprint right there. Yeah, it was a demo of a first sprint. If we're that far behind, yeah, you know, it, hopefully by the middle of June we'll have a way of talking to LogicGate about how you might want to apply a dictionary for this. We're definitely, I, you know, I right after the meeting in, in, in January, I'm getting on an airplane right from Denver, flying straight to D.C., talking to a whole bunch of multi-letter clients that are out there uh, and telling them how to put their dictionaries in, you know, based on what we all agreed to in Denver the week before. Yeah. I will guarantee you I'll be writing that stuff up on the plane and telling our programmers <laughs> what to put. And, you know, and then, then it's going to have to go up to GRC schema to become part of schema.org. Yeah. You know, uh, and and then get in, and the industry ain't going to be ready till what July, August, September. So plan now, but you have time because th there there isn't going to be real implementation till then. And if somebody's telling you that, that you know the upside is, hey, you got some time, and we're all talking about it, and let's get it in and get it in right. The bad part is if somebody's out there telling you they're doing a generative AI and they're pulling it in with their corpora. Yeah, they, they're, you know, they've got a bridge to sell you. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's a, it, like there's a there's a lot in there, including just like the the dictionary summit to define everything and how that's how that naturally like there there's this time but in that time even as people are starting to get ahead of that there's risk there of yes. like missing definitions but but at the same point like how do you prepare so that when it is ready to go and like take advantage of that as as long as you're telling your board 
you know, hey, there's a lot of risk there. I don't know if you guys have seen the new SEC rules. The SEC rules for broker dealers and public companies say the board has to be aware of cybersecurity. The board has to be aware of continuous uh, 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 compliance. The board has to start, you know, the board has to start putting its its threat and risk reports in inline XBRL. And I got to tell you, like 20 people know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) We do. You know, we we sat on the committee. Um, And it's one of the things that, you know, we're we're, we're mapping in. But, you know, uh, how many CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs know how to read a human version of a report, a a, a risk and threat report, you know, uh, and then ensure that it's the exact same thing coming out in inline XBRL. How many of them can do the the human readability to machine readability? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and funny because if it was actually built right using markup and using uh, legal XML or a Comanatoso or some of these things you guys have never heard of, you, you can we do a demo in-house where we could take the machine-readable one and say, here's the here's the URL for the machine-readable one. It comes out in JSON and, you know, XBRL. And then you add .pdf, and it goes in, it reads it, it turns it into a human-readable format from the exact same document because you can embed all of that. And then the humans can read it and go, yes, that's what it says. Because yeah. even I can't read XBRL. And, and how many yeah. people have you even seen to be able to write that report and have it come out in machine and then change a part of the URL so that, you know, it's literally the same evidence, but now with this, you know, thing on the end of it, .html or .pdf or whatever, it now turns it into human readable. You can do that, but I've seen four organizations to date, us included. Uh, Actually, that's three and three quarters with this finger. Uh, (laughs) do, Do it successfully. That's fascinating. Yeah, like, and do, just to like confirm that you're saying that today you all can define the machine readable into the human readable, but the reverse of that is much more difficult and undefined. You can't go so so. Oh, this is so. Um, and we're going to ensure that we and LogicGate don't make the same problem. Okay. Uh, one of our past GRC. Uh, partners and the you know past for a reason mm-hmm. uh we do all this mapping and we did a whole bunch of mapping for one of the clients all their policies procedures things like that like million and a half dollars for the mapping they 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 put it into the grc tool and when they went to edit it the grc tool stripped out all the mapping because it uses just simple rtf you know which is the background you know that's 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 the foundation to work and, you know, when you go into your your whatever SaaS-based system, you get that little ribbon, you know, yeah. bold, italic, all that stuff. It's 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 either putting it into YAML or or uh, RTF or Markdown um, or, or, you know, DocX, something like that. But it's not tagging it like uh, uh, SGML or XBRL or um, uh, OSCAL if you're doing NIST. Um, or uh, a Comanatoso or legal XML if you're doing international stuff, right? Those are all the, the structured frameworks for, for writing. And 
if you start out the human way without doing it structured, if you start out in Word, if you start out just writing your policies and procedures in there, you ain't moving it over to a machine-based thing because there's no formatting under there that tells the machine this is what's going on. You know, there's there's a really cool company. It's a it's a really nice guy. I can't think of his name. Uh, I wanted to buy the company until I found out that everybody he, he wrote these interpreters. Yeah. But I said, wow, that's really cool. I want to buy you. Yeah. You know, I want to buy you. I want to put you on in because you have this interpreter, and you know, you can interpret Word and you can put it into SGML or Legal XML. You know, I could just buy you, put a plugin into everybody's writing a policy and procedure, and I can bring it in the structured format. Because a lot of what the UCF does is take these documents and, you know, yeah. get sure. them into a structured format yeah. in our corpora. We have millions of dollars and 255 patent claims on how to do that. This guy was doing it, and I said, wow, that's a method I've not seen before. I'm going to buy the company in the IP. Until I found out he has to manually do it for every company. <laughs> Because there's no word-based thing yeah. that says when I write a policy or procedure, here's how we're going to structure it. So the best you could do is you could work with a, a, a GRC firm or a policy management company that's building structured policies, that's yeah. building structured documents to begin with, that's giving that machine the, the knowledge of what to do with this paragraph or that paragraph. You know, NIST 853 took a very, very, very long time to restructure the writing of it so that it would come out in OSCAL, which is a structured yeah. vocabulary, so that you know that this paragraph is informational. That paragraph has a mandate. This paragraph talks about training. That paragraph talks about auditing. You know, when 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 terms come in, uh, 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 must, shall, may. Um, oh, shoot, I was just do, doing a paper. It's probably a paper in back of this screen somewhere. Uh, and, and I can't show you my board because it's too far away. And I'm realizing looking in here, you couldn't see it anyway. Yeah. Of how we, we break down a sentence and say the organization must do this before that. Well, the must is a modal. You know, could also say shall, could also say, you know, may uh, do. Okay, well, now here's the, you know, here's this thing. It's got a Bloom taxonomy to it. You know, to what? Is there a time differential? Is there a, you know, do this after that? So we're breaking it down into all of those things. NIST 853 in OSCAL is broken down into all of those things. You go tell me somebody's got a policy procedure manager today or a Microsoft Word document where they're going to go and tag all their texts and say, this is modal. When it says have eight characters, upper and lower case in the password, how many people are going to take, take the eight characters and say, this is now an n-string variable, and n-string variable can be put in by the organization standards. By the way, that's what NIST 853 does, right? Because it brackets it. Yeah. That's the same thing we do when we're interpreting this stuff. We're putting all these brackets in. We're putting all this NLP stuff in underneath it. It's easier to start with with structured text and do something with it than to write an interpreter to look at all the text and examine it because that's where the NLP engine comes in. That's where your corpora and all that local training comes in because we're basically training you to think like a machine so the machine can understand it. We're trying to, you know, my, my wife is, I'll get shot for this. My wife <laughs> is famous for go get the thing. Yeah. You know, 
hey, go get that thing. You know the thing. It's over there by that other thing. You know, yeah, right. Tell a machine that. You know, hey, good luck. <laughs> but, you know, we've been married long enough. I actually get what the thing is by that yeah. other thing because I know where the other thing was. With enough life. training, right? We know with enough training, yeah. exactly. Right. With, with enough, enough training, you're going to teach the machine what, what the thing, thing is. is. Yeah. In this context machine, the thing is the spatula. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, I appreciate you sharing all that. I, I've learned an incredible, incredible amount today. Oh, Just, uh, I appreciate so much. Um, love to end on like a little bit of a fun note, if that's all right. Sure. Uh, we're trying out some of these new, like, kind of like podcast segments. One okay. of them is we're going to call uh risk or that. <laughs> and so, you know, like a, would you rather kind of, uh, if, um, so I love that you mentioned this. When you think about dystopian future AI, do you prefer Terminator or 2001 A Space Odyssey? Oh, I would have to say I prefer Terminator because I never really understood the ending of Space Odyssey. I know where Terminator's going. Yeah. <laughs> I know how to deal with that. That's that's a fair, probably the same way. I don't really get yeah, And I'm still scared point. of how. As we all are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anytime I go, in, I have a, I have a friend. Oh, I, I don't have one. He's got one of the big red glowing things in in his man cave. And and anytime the thing lights up, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm done with the whiskey. <laughs> so that's a that's your cue to leave. <laughs> that's my cue to leave. I think he does it on purpose. I was gonna say he probably knows now. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm oh. very Pavlovian that way. <laughs> Uh, flip side of that, who would you rather have as a best friend, Data from Star Trek or C-3PO from Star Wars? I'm going to give a nod to you, John. I'm going to answer neither of the above. Q. Okay. John Delancey, because I know it. So, oh. so yeah. I would, I would, I would, yeah, if you guys go into the Wayback Machine, type my name in, type Seabold, type John Delancey, type Leonard Nimoy, you'll see I launched a software company with these guys. And then I had to go pay penance for doing that uh, and go to a Star Trek convention. Uh, I, I met Brent Spider, very, very, very nice man. Um, but if I had to choose between the two, it would be C-3PO because I could probably play more tricks behind his back than yeah. Data. Because I don't think his head can go all the way around. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's and, awesome. and he's very British in his mannerisms. Very much so. Uh, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> and then last one, and this one's a little bit more actual risk, but uh, autonomous AI-driven cars or humans driving cars? Humans, because there's explainability behind them, and I don't understand the autonomous part of the uh, of the okay. of the cars yet. Right, I know humans that. are going to do stupid. Yeah. Stupid stuff. That. Sorry. I know humans are going to do so when you splice this. I know humans are going to do stupid stuff. We'll, and we'll, and and I could, if they're starting to swerve or whatever, I could figure that out. But for a car to blindly do something that I wouldn't be able to anticipate, I don't know enough of the rules yet that an autonomous driving system would apply to be able to anticipate while well, I'm human driving my car, yet doing anything stupid. It's uh, it's uh, <laughs> I love that you say that. I um, so I'm I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about it, but we are terrible drivers. Sorry, entire. Is that city. the one with the river and the, the the restaurant that goes up on the thing? 
Yep. Yep. Exactly. Oh yeah, I've been there. So there's a. Uh, yeah, so you guys can't drive. Three rivers. So one thing. So my my brother-in-law works for uh, autonomous. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this either, but he works for an AI kind of autonomous driving vehicle car. And the reason they picked Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh has this rule, this rule, this unspoken rule called the Pittsburgh left, and it is where you let so two directions left left turn lane. The oncoming cars, if you have a green, you actually let the left, the first car in the left turn turn before you go. And so the thought is, if AI can do it in Pittsburgh, it can do it anywhere. <laughs> wow. And so that's where they've been like testing a lot of autonomous cars because there's like Pittsburgh rules make no sense. And they put fries on their sandwiches. And those were the two. And then that, and that's how they kind of like start the test in the worst, worst, riskiest scenario. <laughs> wow. I'm glad I've never driven. I've always taxied through because I just go into to, to vision. Yeah. And most bridges in the U.S., I think. Yeah, there were a lot of bridges. And and uh, and, and notice you and I share a corpora because I said, you know, that that thing going up to that yeah. place. And you went, yeah, the funicular to the restaurant. Yeah. The incline. The yeah. incline. Big thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I see that's another thing, funicular and incline. Same thing, two words, same meaning. You'd have to have a dictionary if if this was an yeah. internal thing for our corporate. You're writing up a story about it, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for thanks for playing along with me on that one. Well, thank that's you. Fun. Well, I, I, you know, I, I'd love to come back and I, you know, I'd love to in, in between maybe even get a couple of questions to, to, to answer from folks. You know, everybody out there, I, I don't want to scare you. It, it shouldn't be a scary thing, but you have to do you, you do have to think through some things and you, you have to bring your leaders in to under let them understand the risk. You know, if you're going to go forward, cool. Just tell them what the risk is uh, and, and let them accept or, or, or not accept the risk. Uh, you're going to have to accept the risk when you're we're using it right now, and you know because we're all telling you it's going to lie. It, it's really not lying because it has no ethics, so it's going to it's going to that do right. what it, it does. Going to put content down that you asked it to put down. I I thank you all for listening to the ramblings of a semi madman today, uh, and and hope we 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 got you thinking about some of this because that's what you need to do. You're selling yourself short, Dor Dorian. Uh, th thank you for coming on. This was incredibly exciting. I'm pumped with what we're gonna go and like learn more about. And honestly, well, the next reading for my next couple weeks is gonna be on on all this. But uh, and thank you all for all of you to listening to another episode of GRC and Me. It's been a blast. Thank you, everybody.